Welcome to Behind the Standards with United Rentals. This is the podcast where we discuss construction safety, typically trench excavation and confined space safety, but also other topics that deal with general job site safety as well. I am Rick Plosinski, Customer Training Specialist, and with me is John Demas. Thanks, Rick. Uh, my name's John, and I'm a certified industrial hygienist. I hold a master's degree from the University of Cincinnati. I have been in professional practice since the late 1980s and have been affiliated with the Construction Safety Council in Hillside, Illinois, a not-for-profit construction uh, safety and health training organization since the late 1990s. And I'm an outreach instructor for them, but I'm also a consultant in industrial hygiene who has focused most of my work in the construction industry. Thanks, John. Appreciate that. So our conversation will hopefully be informative and educational so we can help you avoid injuries and fatalities while on the job site. Today, John and I are going to take a deeper dive into the general industry and construction confined space standards and the sometimes confusing definitions of a competent person and a qualified person. So, John, let me just start by asking, why two standards? Well, Rick, we need to kind of go back in time. And prior to there even being one standard, there was quite a bit of concern about entering into spaces where we would either have really poor ventilation or there could be some other hazard present, such as sewer work, where we could have a risk of drowning or what's called engulfment or there was some other difficulty in being able to pull somebody out of these enclosed or confined spaces and difficulty because of other hazards that may be present. And unfortunately, prior to there ever being a general industry standard to protect workers in confined spaces, there were a fair number of fatalities. Uh, one of the ones that were documented by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, in one of their fatality assessment and control evaluation reports was from 1984 in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's sort of a famous fatality situation where we had a worker enter into a storage tank of toluene that had not been properly tested. And the worker went down and passed out and the call went out to the local fire department who responded and in an attempt to rescue the individual, they were cutting into the walls of this tank. They hadn't accounted for the fact that the tank then had an explosive concentration of toluene vapor. And the firefighter that was cutting into the tank, the sparks from the, the saw cut actually ignited the vapor causing the tank to explode killing not only that firefighter, but injuring many others from the shrapnel when the tank exploded. The worker who had entered the tank had already expired. He had died simply from a lack of oxygen or a high toxic level of exposure to toluene vapor. And so it's these types of significant fatalities that occurred that led OSHA, starting in 1988, to work on these standards to protect workers going into confined spaces. Now, when they were working on them, they recognized, as they do with many types of standards that they write, regulations, 
that the work being performed in what's considered the general industry, the manufacturing setting, may be different than construction, contractors going in to perform work. So back in 1988, they were working on two different standards. They were working on one for general industry, and then they were working on one for construction. They were able to get the general industry regulation out first, and that was promulgated or made into a regulation in 1993. Unfortunately, there were delays and other forces at work, as unfortunately there often are, that prohibited OSHA from continuing work on the confined space version of a standard for construction. And that didn't come out until 2015. Now, there were a few things already in the regulations. For example, in construction, in the general requirements in what's known as subpart C, the regulation 1926-21 is the safety training and education requirements that all contractors have to provide. And there was a paragraph and subparagraph dealing specifically with work in any sort of confined or enclosed space. And that particular regulation required every contractor to train their employees if they had to work in these spaces. And then there was an additional paragraph that sort of defined what OSHA meant at that time as to what a confined or an enclosed space might actually be. And it's interesting because it says, you know, for the purposes of this regulation, they mean anything that can accumulate toxic or flammable contaminants or has an oxygen deficiency. And they give some examples such as storage tanks, process vessels, bins, boilers, ventilation or exhaust ducts, sewers, underground utility vaults, tunnels, pipelines, and open top spaces more than four feet in depth, such as pits, tubs, vaults, and vessels. And very similar to that definition is what we find in the construction definitions in the regulation found in subpart AA. So in 2015, when they promulgated the construction version, they were essentially using this same definition to describe confined spaces in construction. In addition to that training requirement, in the welding requirements in subpart J, the regulation 1926-353 actually talks about cutting and welding in confined spaces. When the AA, the confined space standard in construction, was finally released in 2015, they struck down that training requirement in subpart C. So that was actually removed from the regulations because it was incorporated into the definitions and the training requirements in subpart AA. What OSHA did not do, though, was modify subpart J, the welding standard. They are currently, and it's on the unified agenda now, working towards revising subpart J. So any hot work, welding, cutting, heating inside confined spaces will be consistent with subpart AA. So they're kind of sort of cleaning up uh, these other references to confined spaces that had applied in construction, but now don't quite jibe with what we have to do with the construction confined space entry standard. So they took 
some of these other standards that were already in play and consolidated them more or less into one actual, just one complete standard. Is that, is that fair to say? Is that accurate? There is, because prior to OSHA developing a confined space standard, uh, standard the American National Standards Institute, or ANSI, A-N-S-I, had a committee, the Z-117 committee, that had put out documentation on how best to proceed in going into confined spaces. And OSHA historically has relied on this independent outside group when it comes time for them to develop any sort of safety or health regulation. So they did turn to the ANSI Z-117 document when they were originally writing the confined space entry standards. Prior to the construction subpart AA being promulgated, OSHA was enforcing the training requirements in subpart C for construction. They were enforcing subpart J if hot work was being done in confined spaces. But for any other violations of practical safety and health considerations in confined spaces in construction, those were 5A1 or general duty clause citations that were referencing the ANSI Z117 document. And now a word from our sponsor. In today's world, it is critical to have a partner that puts safety at the forefront. A partner who understands what you're up against. A partner you can count on to get you what you need when you need it. That's why United Rentals is here for you. Combining equipment, safety, experience, and data to help your team get the job done. United Rentals, here to help with the equipment and tools you need. To find a store nearest you, visit unitedrentals.com or call 1-800-U-R-RENTS. Now, when they did promulgate the confined space entry standard in general industry, they did put provisions in that standard for any contractors who were doing work for a host employer. So in the general industry, if you hired a contractor to come in to do work in your tanks, vessels, bins, or you were a municipality and you hired a contractor to come in to do work in your sewers, well, those contractors ended up being covered, protected, by those requirements that were found in paragraph C8 and C9 of the general industry standard. So prior to subpart AA, we had that requirement for anybody working for a host employer in the general industry. We had the training requirements, we had the welding requirements, and then if there was no other way of protecting workers, OSHA would be able then to use that ANSI document through a 5A1 citation. So what are the differences and or the similarities between the general industry standard and the construction standard? Well, let's start really with the, the similarities. Uh, the definitions of a confined space haven't changed. And a confined space has to be large enough and configured in such a way that an employee can bodily enter, meaning they have to get their whole body in to be able to perform their work. So size, Rick, as you shared in, in a class, is one of the characteristics that determines whether something is a confined space. If it's just large enough to get a hand or a foot in, 
and without getting your whole body in, it's not considered a confined space. The second characteristic is it has a limited means of getting in or out. So a limited means of entry or egress or access to or from that space. So the access is also a consideration. And the third criteria that's used to determine whether something's a confined space or not is, is it designed or designated for continuous employee occupancy? Is it a space where someone would work in for an eight-hour or 10-hour shift, a normal work shift. And if that's not the case, then it doesn't meet the definition of a confined space. So the duration of the work, as again, you pointed out, uh, an easy acronym to remember is SAD, or the word SAD, its size, its access, and its duration of someone working. So those definitions are exactly the same in both sets of regulations, industry as well as in construction. OSHA also then identifies that in a confined space, we may already have an existing hazard or any work being performed in that space may create a hazard that has to be controlled. So if it already has a hazard or we may create one by our activities in there, well, then it's classified as a permit-required confined space. So we need to follow a checklist, a permit, to control those hazards before we ever put anybody in the space where they could be harmed. And those definitions are exactly the same as well. So it has or likely to contain a hazardous atmosphere, and the definitions are exactly the same. It has material that can cause engulfment which can surround somebody and cause drowning, or it can surround somebody and cause crushing or trapping hazards. The third is the configuration of the space. So is it shaped in such a way that people could get trapped, lose their footing? Would it be difficult to extract them? And then in both sets of regulations, OSHA includes sort of an overall recognize serious safety or health hazard being present or likely to be present, which may include things like electrical hazards, mechanical hazards, uh, physical hazards like noise or temperature extremes, even biological hazards that may be present. So if any of those are present in our confined space, it makes it a permit required confined space. It's kind of like their catch-all, if you will. It's kind of like our, their quote-unquote general duty clause of confined spaces, if you will. Exactly. And it's a way to account for any additional hazard that isn't what's considered the common ones that we would see. So in most of our confined or enclosed spaces, we may have, because of a lack of ventilation or air movement, the accumulation of hazardous atmospheres or just through natural processes of chemical reactions, a lack of oxygen. So anytime someone opens a space and sees rust, one of the things they should first think about is there could be an oxygen deficiency because that been, oxygen has been removed from the atmosphere to combine with metal to form iron oxide or rust. It's called slow oxidation. So we have to recognize that there can be things that either take oxygen out of the air or there could be things being produced inside that space that could displace regular breathable air and lower the oxygen concentrations. 
So there are some things that we would naturally think about going into a confined space that may be hazardous in terms of an, of an atmosphere. And if that is a bin or a silo or some other container that's storing grain or liquids, we would want to think about those engulfment hazards. And then some of the spaces, just their shape, we could lose our footing, slip, fall, be injured, or there's piping or other pieces of equipment in there that would make it difficult to be able to extract someone very easily. So those three are sort of the ones we would most think about, but you're right, that fourth sort of catch-all qualification of a space being permit required is to account for anything else that doesn't meet those common three. And so that so those are some of the similarities, basically the 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 configuration, if you will, the definition of permit required, the, the definition of a just general confined space, the size, access, and duration components. Let me go back real quick to the duration component because that one can be a little bit fuzzy for people. Uh, what does it mean if it's not designed for continuous occupancy? What does it mean to be actually designed for continuous occupancy? Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, most office workers know that their office space is designed for them to be there at least eight hours or more. So it has proper ventilation. It has proper doorways that meet the life safety code in terms of their size and dimension. We have access either through elevators or in an emergency stairwells. We have ways to get in and out of the building, in and out of our offices that are not inhibited or obstructed or put us at risk if we need to evacuate in a hurry. So we don't have those types of hazards that make something a permit space and it's not a confined space because it's designed for us to be there all the time. Unfortunately, we have spaces that are either in manufacturing settings or we've created them as part of a construction activity. They're not designed for humans to be in. So in construction, we may be putting in ductwork or we may be putting in tunnels underneath a structure. A number of the large buildings now are putting in their own water systems in the event of an emergency where they need to lock down a building. They have tanks of water that can be used for things like plumbing or even for drinking purposes and can keep the building self-contained for a period of time. Well, when those tanks are constructed and construction workers have to go in and work on those, they're actually going into confined spaces that no, no one would normally be occupying. Likewise, sewer work, people going in either with the construction of new sewers or going in to perform a practice which is cured in place uh, piping, which is a way of maintaining and extending the life of existing sewers so we don't have to tear them out where crews have to go in and essentially realign the inside of our current sewers with a plastic that then cures or hardens to provide that protective barrier. Well, no one lives and works typically in a sewer uh, eight hours a day or more. And so these are the types of spaces that are not designed for continuous employee occupancy. 
I think where some of the things might have gotten, and I've heard this in classes before where somebody says, well, you know, we, when we go into a certain vault, if you will, we have light switches that we turn on and we have a ventilation system. So we turn the fans on so that it starts to circulate the air and that comes into question. Well, is that designed for continuous occupancy or not? And, and some people argue that that is actually designed for continuous occupancy. Would you, would you agree with that? No, actually I would disagree with that because what they've provided is lighting which is great. You don't have to then bring in temporary lighting. And if they've provided a ventilation system, that's a control for the fact that you may have harmful atmospheres developing when that space is in its natural state. Unless someone's putting a desk in there and reporting to work every day, that's not designed for continuous employee occupancy. In that type of space, if it's well lighted and it has ventilation and there is no other hazard in there may be classified as a non-permit required confined space but it still meets the definition of a confined space because it's not designed for continuous employee occupancy and again the size of the space has to be big enough for an employee to enter and perform their assigned duties or work but it doesn't mean that it has to be cramped or uncomfortable. Confined spaces can be massive in terms of their size. It just means that it has a limited means of getting in or out. And it's not designed for you to be there all the time. So we may have utility vaults and we may have other things that are, are either vented, so they're naturally ventilated, or there's a forced air mechanical ventilation system installed. It may have lighting and a whole host of other sort of features that most confined spaces that require a permit do not have, but it doesn't then make it that it could be occupied. It is, is it designated to be occupied? And those spaces are not. Those vaults are typically not designated for occupancy. This has been part one of a two-part episode talking about confined spaces with certified industrial hygienist, John Demas. Should you have any questions about this topic or have any suggestions about topics that we could discuss, feel free to send an email to urtspodcast at ur.com. For additional training opportunities, go to trendsafetyevents.com. On behalf of myself and John, thank you for listening. Have a great day and enjoy episode number two.